Recorded live. Hello, this is Christogenia Saturdays. Welcome to the program and thank you for listening. Today is Saturday, December 3rd, 2011. Another year almost shot. The theme tonight is going to be Deuteronomy 23.2. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh, not to the tenth generation, which is, as we shall see, an idiom which means forever. After nine generations, a bastard still a bastard. After a tenth generation, and the twentieth and the thirtieth, bastards are still bastards. Yahweh God does not change. Therefore, whoever teaches differently, he is a liar. He must be countenanced. There are methods which false pastors use, and and there's a lot, and, and I'd like to talk about a couple. The first one is the shell game. The shell game goes like this. You work in one congregation, and, and then you go out to other congregations. You talk to one group of people, and then you speak to other group of pe- groups of people. And you agree with them all, but they all believe different things. That's the shell game. I could come to your congregation, and I could talk about um, everything your congregation wants to hear, And you might think I'm a great guy, I'm a nice guy, I'm magnanimous, I'm friendly, I'm outgoing, I'm I'm cheerful all the time. And I can come visit your congregation three, four times a year and do that. And then the other 48, 49 weeks, I'm teaching some things that you would never agree with. And you just think I'm a great guy because I never taught you those things. That's what we have in Christian identity. Another method false pastors use, it's not really a method that false pastors use. It's a method that Jews use. It's called the bait and switch. The bait and switch goes like this. When I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, we saw this all the time. You'd see an ad in the paper from the local appliance store. It'd offer a deal too good to be true on the television you always wanted. All right, I was a kid. Don't, I don't want a television at all now, but that's a different story. It doesn't have to be a television. It could be a refrigerator. You might see this 19-cubic-foot, $1,000 refrigerator on sale for 400 bucks. And you really want a refrigerator, and you've got your heart set on getting yourself one of those refrigerators. So you go down to the appliance store today at a sale, and you find out that they don't have any. Maybe they never had any. They were suddenly out of stock on that refrigerator. But they have a 16-cubic-foot refrigerator for $600, and they're willing to sell you one of those. And they pull that ploy all the time, these Jewish merchants. That's called the bait-and-switch. They bait you into the store, and then they switch by trying to sell you something other than the bait. Well, we have that in Christian identity. In Christian identity, we have a certain pastor who wants to convince you that Yahweh God made these other races of people, these non-Adamic peoples, he made them as beasts. And they're beasts all through the the Old Testament. 
And then he gets to the New Testament, and all of a sudden they're, they're men, and they're going to be judged and rewarded based on their behavior. Well, that's the bait and switch. That's an old Canaanite Jew trick. That's an old Jewish merchant trick. It's as old as time. Let's get them into the store with this, and then we'll sell them that. Let's get them into this. Uh, let's get them on board with universalism by calling them beasts in the Old Testament. All of a sudden, they're men in the New Testament, and, and they're going to share in all the blessings that the children of Israel are supposed to share in. That's universalism. And that's the bait and switch. It's a theological Canaanite trick. Jewish relativism. We see it all the time. Even in Christian identity, it's pitiful. And Jewish relativism is the idea that different but conflicting truths can possibly be valid. There can only be one truth. If anything conflicts with the sure word of Scripture, it's a lie. It can't possibly be the truth. It can't be the truth today. It can't be the truth a thousand years from now. It can't be the truth in the Old Testament if it conflicts with something in the New. It can't be the truth in the New if it is seen to conflict with something in the Old. The, the fact is that when a man thinks that two scriptures conflict with each other, he has the problem, not the scripture. He's taking something out of, con, out of context, usually because he has an agenda. The last item I'd like to talk about is the adage, keep our friends close, but our enemies closer. This is why I keep getting sucked into these debates. This is why I keep getting sucked into having to address this bullshit. Because there are people that just don't want to get off the fence and make a decision that are playing two sides of the coin, that keep dragging lies and accusations and, 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 and charges and, and, and assertions back and, back and forth from one camp to the other, and, and that's got to go. And I tried to put an end to that last week on my Facebook, and, and you should see all the little sissies kicking and screaming and cussing me because I'm trying to control my own life. Absolutely incredible. It is not my philosophy to keep my friends close and my enemies closer. I don't want my enemies anywhere near me. That's a Jewish philosophy. It's the philosophy of the Antichrist. Christians pray to Yahweh our Father, Psalm 70 is one of my favorites, that he dispose of our enemies for us. That's the Christian attitude. But nevertheless, I'm still addressing this topic tonight. Let me quote something from Protocol 14, the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. When we came into our kingdom, this is talking about the Jews when they were emancipated in Europe, right? When we come into our kingdom, it will be undesirable for us that there should, be, that there should exist any other religion than ours, of the one God with whom our destiny is bound up by our position as the chosen people and through whom our same destiny is united with the doctrines of the world, the destinies of the world. To whom our same destiny is united with the destinies of the world. Now you know where that comes from. Our wise men trained to become leaders of the Goyim will compose speeches 
projects, memoirs, articles, which will be used by us to influence the minds of the Goyim, directing them towards such understanding and forms of knowledge as have been determined by us. Well, well the bottom line is that universalism is Jewish. Universalism is Jewish. The universalism as, as we know it the idea that all races can share in the kingdom of heaven is Jewish. The idea that the non-white races would be ruled over by whites is a borrowing of the Talmudic idea that all races would be ruled over by Jews in the kingdom of heaven. You take that idea and transfer it into Christianity and call it Christian identity, you're still no better than a Jew. It's a Jewish idea. It comes right from the Talmud. It's expressed in the protocols. The idea that all races can have a common destiny, we have just seen in Protocol 14. That is exactly the idea that has been destroying the white race these past 200 years. It is also the idea expressed in the email sent out this morning by a certain clown, which was meant to slander my character, where he promoted the mutual love which the world's disparate races should have for one another. That is not Christian identity. That is universalism. That is Catholicism. It's the old dichotomy, capitalism, communism, love, hate, love, hate. How about apathy? There are other choices. We have, we, the children of Israel, have our own destiny, and we have that destiny exclusively. Yahshua Christ says, John chapter 3, unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. He shall not see, not as a slave, not as a master, not as a peon, not as a peer, not as a fly on the wall. Unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Argue with that, and you are an antichrist. That's the bottom line. My enemies have taken the character assassination, of course. I, I'm challenging them on scriptural issues, and, and they're assassinating my character. I, I, I don't. They're, they're following the Jewish newspapers of 15 years ago. That's fine. That, that's what they do. That's what I expect. Imagine what the Jewish newspapers in Egypt were saying about Moses in the days before the Exodus. No, I'm not Moses. I don't claim to be. I don't even claim to be a pastor. You don't see me use titles at all. I don't think highly of myself at all. But I have to make this comparison. So I'll say it again. Imagine what the Jewish newspapers in Egypt were saying about Moses in the days before the Exodus. I have a headline. How about this one? Man who once murdered Egyptian officer now leads Hebrews into revolt against Pharaoh. How about that one? I don't lead a revolt. I only beg my brethren, our race, to consider repentance, a putting off of the sins of this world, and an inquiry into the true will of our God. And the enemies of Christ blaspheme me daily. The infiltrators blaspheme me daily. My favorite quote on this topic is not from the Bible. Rather, it's from Adolf Hitler. 
if a comrade of ours opens a Jewish email in the morning and find, does not find himself vilified there, or, or a Martin Lindstedt website, then he has spent yesterday to no account. For if he had achieved something, he would be persecuted, slandered, derided, and abused. Those who effectively combat this mortal enemy of our people, who is at the same time the enemy of all Aryan peoples and all culture, can only expect to arouse opposition on the part of this race and become the object of its slanderous, of its slanderous attacks. Mein Kampf, page 200. Murphy. So much for, for, for um, I, I don't want to talk about me anyway. I said last night opening the program that you could build, you could pour all your resources and all your hard work into building the most wonderful fences. And you could sense off your whole, whole entire pasture. And you could load it up with sheep. And if you let one wolf roam around inside, all your hard work is for naught. You could build the most marvelous walls. And when the arrows come over the walls and you don't sound the trumpets, all your hard work is for naught. These, um, there's this strange new teaching in identity, and it absolutely amazes me because um, I haven't heard it. Until recently, I haven't heard this at all, even though I know these people teaching this for three years now. And, and now they're teaching that even bastards are going, those people of mixed race, they're going to um, stand in judgment and be rewarded upon their behavior, good or bad, before God in the last days. That is universalism. They can deny the label, but that doesn't change the fact. Deuteronomy 23.2 says a bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh. What makes us think that Yahweh is ever going to change? This is a very dangerous teaching for many reasons, but I'm going to go through some scripture and show how wrong it is. I'll start with Ezra chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, from the King James Version. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded, by thy servants the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land filled with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which they have filled it, from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their sons unto your that their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever. That you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. The lesson there is that, well, first, that we're not the race mix. That's the obvious lesson. But the second lesson is that we are not to seek their peace or their wealth. We are not to seek their peace. 
We are to separate ourselves from them. We don't care about their peace. We don't care about them. We don't throw our pearls before swine, and especially our children. James 4.4, 4, adulterers, do you not know that love, the love of society, is hatred for Yahweh? He, therefore, who would, be, who would desire to be a friend of the world or of society establishes himself as an enemy of Yahweh. So much for the Orthodox minister who would go to Japan and try to make friends of the samurais, who are nothing but heathen beasts. He would deserve a knife in his throat. Let's talk about Christian love. Mark twelve twenty nine from the King James Version. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Yahweh is only the God of Israel, and he is one God. At Amos 3.2, Yahweh states, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, speaking to Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you all for your iniquities. The entire history which our race has endured is about that one thing, and that only. Yahweh's punishment of Israel of ancient Israel, cast off in 700 B.C. for their iniquity. Everything else and everyone else are only coincidental because Yahweh only knows the children of Israel. He is only recognized out of the entire Adamic race. He has only recognized the children of Israel as his children. He's put off all the others. Paul explains it in Acts chapter 17. And Yahweh states that explicitly in Deuteronomy 14. Ye are the children of Yahweh your God. Everyone else is coincidental. It's incidental. They do not matter. Not even the other whites really matter in this history, in this world. Israel, the children of Israel, is the focus, and that is it. The other races are used as the means of our punishment. And in ancient times, the other white nations were used as the means of our punishment. We are the only family that he has known in all the earth. Amos 3.2 Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Among his commandments are that the children of Israel are to be a separate people. We are not to love all the other races of the earth. We see Moses talking to Yahweh, and he states in Exodus chapter 33, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. We shall be separated that's the words of Moses. We shall be separated from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. We don't go to Japan and suck up to samurais. It doesn't happen. We don't go to Nigeria and nog with Nubians. We have no reason 
to attempt to befriend the squat monsters of South America. So shall we be separated, I and I people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Therefore, Peter, writing to the dispersed of Israel, says at 1 Peter 2.9, but you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so that you should proclaim the virtues, the virtues for which, from out of darkness, you have been called into the wonder of his light. Not you and the beasts, just the children of Israel. The commandment to be a separate people stands. Love for God comes before love for one's brother. If my brother denies the word of God, I shall not love him. At Luke chapter 11, verse 23 said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters. Don't be gathering wolves and goats and imagine that I would treat you like a brother. Luke 12.51 states this, Suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. Matthew 12.50 states, For whoever, whosoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. You love your brother? Sure, we should. We all should. But that brother has to love God first and keep his commandments. Christ came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Paul addressed those who considered common the blood of the covenant. In the Bible, to consider something common, if you examine the text of Mark 7 and, and other passages, to consider something common means to share it with the unworthy. It means to share it in the Old Testament with the uncircumcised. You're making it common, and that's against the law in many cases. To make it common is sin in many cases. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, For our doing wrong voluntarily after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no longer for wrongdoing does a sacrifice remain, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fervent fire destined to devour the opposition. Part of what they oppose is that Yahshua only came for Israel. One who sets aside a law of Moses without compassion by two or three witnesses is put to death. How much more severe a punishment do you suppose he who has trampled upon the Son of Yahweh would be accounted worthy, and who regarded as common the blood of the covenant in which he was sanctified? Only Israel was sanctified in his blood. Therefore, we must not regard that blood is common. Where has anyone else by, had been sanctified by Yahweh? Paul goes on to say, and who insulted the spirit of that favor. And I would say that attempting to bring non-Israelites before Christ is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Attempting to bring non-Israelites 
to the judgment of Christ, telling Israelites that they will be there, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The word blasphemy is defined in worldly dictionaries as impious utterance or action concerning God or sacred things. Israel is God's sacred thing. Be ye holy because I am holy. Paul goes on to say, for we know the saying, vengeance is mine, I will requit. And again, Yahweh will judge his people. A fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of Yahweh who lives. Paul says that Yahweh shall judge his people. What certain pastors, well, they're really clowns, may not have noticed is that this judgment, Yahweh judging his people, it's a separate judgment from that day of wrath which Yahweh reserves for the non-Israel and, of course, all of the non-white nations of the world, peoples of the world would be a better a better term. Here from Paul, we see that there is vengeance, which belongs to Yahweh. And then, after that vengeance, Yahweh shall judge his people, which are only Israel. In Romans chapter 5, Paul gives us the entire context of the judgment of Christ for the Adamic race. And I'll read from verse 15. But should not, as was the transgression, speaking about the Garden of Eden, in that manner also be the favor. Indeed, if in the transgression of one many die, much greater is the favor of Yahweh and the gift in favor, which is of the one I'm sorry, I lost my place. What which is of the one man Yahshua Christ in which many have great advantage. And not then by one having committed error is the gift. Indeed, the fact is that judgment of a single one is for condemnation, but the favor is from many transgressions into a judgment of acquittal. For if in the transgression of one, death has taken reign through that one, much more is the advantage of the favor and the gift of justice they are receiving in life, they will reign through one, Joshua Christ. So then, as that one transgression is for all men a sentence of condemnation, and all of the Adamic race followed in the condemnation of Adam, their father, in this manner, then, through one decision of judgment for all men is for a judgment of life. Beasts are not included here. Only the Adamic race is in this judgment. Therefore, even as through the disobedience of one man, the many were set down as wrongdoers, in this manner then, through the obedience of one, the many will be established as righteousness, as righteous. If you suffered after the fall of Adam, being a son of Adam, you will be restored and established as righteous by Christ, being a son of Adam. That judgment only has to do with the Adamic race, with nobody else. Nobody else is included. Negroes didn't fall in the Garden of Eden without Father Adam. Chinamen did not fall in the Garden of Eden with our Father Adam. They have no part. They're not in this picture, people. 
They don't belong here at all. Do you want to really think that bastards will be there? We'll see about that. There are other scriptures. I'm not done. Moreover, law rented an addition that the transgression would increase. But where guilt increased, favor exceeded beyond measure. That just as guilt reigned in death, so then favor shall reign through justice for eternal life, through Yahshua Christ, our Prince. All Israel shall indeed be saved. Isaiah 45:25. I don't have it in front of me. All the seed of Israel shall be saved, is what it says. Which word of Isaiah don't we understand? All the seed of Israel shall be saved and shall glory. Why is that so hard to understand? And who is included in that except Israel? It is our reward, which is based upon our behavior. It is not our salvation, which is based upon our behavior. It is our reward, which is based upon our behavior. We shall all be there. But there will be nobody but Adamites in this judgment. There will be nobody but the children. The children of Israel represent the white race in the world today, represent the Adamic race in the world today. Yes, we have many fathers and, and, and many cousins who were Adamic white men who were not Israelites. And they have also been preserved, as Peter proves in his epistle, where he makes manifest for us that Christ preached the gospel to the spirits of those who died, even before the flood, so that they would understand and be reconciled to Yahweh our Father also. But that's a different story. We're talking about the world today. Christ says in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man should be born from above, he is not able to see the kingdom of Yahweh. If you dispute that, not only are you a universalist, you're also an antichrist, disputing the words of Christ. Show me where somebody that's not an Adamite was born from above has that spirit of God which God gave to Adam. You know, speaking of the restoration of all things, because this always comes up, let me read Matthew chapter 17, verse 11, because that's where they get it from in the New Testament. And he replying, he being Yahshua Christ, and he replying said, Indeed, Elijah comes, and he shall restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did with him whatever they desired. Thus we also, the Son of Man, is going to suffer by them. Then the students understood that he spoke to them concerning John the Baptist. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. That's the only place we see the coming of Elijah and the prophets. That is the only place where we see the future coming of Elijah and the prophets. Let's see what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. 
And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. If we read the context of Malachi, we will find that he shall return the heart of the Israelite fathers to the Israelite children. And the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The entire context of Malachi 4 is the children of Israel. The restoration of all things is the restoration of the racial aspect of the covenant of God, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. That is the restoration of all things. It's limited. It's limited in the context to all things pertaining to the racial aspect of the covenants of God. You won't find anything about beasts in the restoration of all things. There's nothing about non-whites in the restoration of all things. They're not even in the scope of the Bible. Now let's see what John the Baptist said. Luke 3, 9. But already even the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Surely any tree not producing good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Any tree not producing good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Well, if the fruit's not good, why, why punish the whole tree? The tree represents race of man, a race of people. The trees in the garden represent races of people. The tree of life is the race of Christ. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the race of the false accusers and the enemies of us and of our God. Any tree not producing good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. What is good fruit? Christ defines that in Matthew chapter 7. But keep away from false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are rapacious wolves. You shall know them from their fruits. Does anyone gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles? How much more do I have to say? You want to go on Negro radio programs and preach the gospel to Negroes? You're gathering grapes from thorns. You want to send Orthodox priests to Japan to convert samurais to Christianity? You want to promote that? like this certain clown promoted in his email yesterday. You're in a pile of thistles, and you're looking for figs. Imagine that. Christ only came for the sheep. Does anyone gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles? Well, of course not. Not anybody with any damned sense. Thusly, every good tree produces good fruit, but the rotten tree produces evil fruit. A good tree is not able to produce evil fruit. That's a totally racial statement. Nor is a rotten tree able to produce good fruit. Each tree not producing fine fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Indeed, from their fruits you shall know them. A good racial tree cannot produce bad fruit. 
all of Israel shall be saved. All of their sins shall be cleansed. And the bad trees cannot produce good fruit. The entire tree is cast into the fire. These are some of the games that certain men claiming to be Israel identity are playing. Somebody's recently made a statement on a program that all races were to stand in the judgment of Christ and would be judged based upon their behavior, whether it be good or bad. Christ says that all evil trees, all bad trees are cast into the fire. It doesn't matter what their behavior is. Because a bad tree, a bad race, can't produce good fruit. Period. Not one good piece of fruit can come off a bad tree. Period. Not one bad piece of fruit can come off a good tree because we can all sin and we can all be forgiven and repent. To imagine that bad trees can produce good fruit or the good trees could produce bad fruit, that is the essence of universalism. That, to me, is antichrist rhetoric. And anyone claiming to be Christian Israel identity who does not condemn this rhetoric agrees with it. And be careful, because Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that it is not only the sinner who is culpable, but also those who approve of the sinner. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us to separate ourselves from the sinners, and Yahweh will judge them. The first law of God is kind after kind. Genesis chapter 1, verses 11, 12, and 12. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit, the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself. This is important. Upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after its kind, and a tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, and 22. And God created great whales and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. Genesis 1, and 125. And God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. I'm going to quote Euripides. Hippolytus, lines 962 and 963, where he says, the bastard is always regarded as an enemy to the true-born. That's a Greek adage, and how true it is. Where did the Greeks get that? They got it from the Hebrews, of course. 
The bastard is always regarded as an enemy to the true-born, because the first law of God is kind after kind. I will quote in support of Euripides and the truth of his statement, Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 through 31, where Paul makes an analogy of Hagar and Sarah. And we, brethren, down through Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh had persecuted him according to the spirit, so also now. In other words, Ishmael persecuted Isaac, and the children of the flesh today persecute the children of the spirit. You can't cross the lines. A children of the flesh cannot a child of the flesh cannot become a child of the spirit. You're either born from above or you're not. You're either a child of Adam or you're not. And the children of the flesh persecute the children of the spirit. Even today, and Paul says, but what does the writing say? Cast out the servant woman and her son. Cast out the children of the flesh. You don't take them in. You don't try to teach them the law. You don't try to convert them. You cast them out. And Ishmael was even an Adamite. Evidently, there's no proof that he wasn't. But Isaac was the son of promise. The children of Israel are the children of God. Ishmael's fate was that his descendants would become race-mixed. That's why some of them are called Arabs. Cast out the servant woman and her son, for by no means, by no means shall the son of the servant woman inherit along with the son of the free. Evidently, Yahweh knew that Ishmael's descendants would not be born from above. They cannot see the kingdom of heaven, period. Cast them out. Paul goes on to say, but we, brethren, we are the children, not the children of the servant woman. We are the children of the free. Deuteronomy 23, 2 and 3. A bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. That's an analogy, that's an allegory, and it means forever, and we will see that in the next verse. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of Yahweh forever. We see that the phrase under the tenth generation is an allegory, which means for eternity. Because after ten generations, if a bastard hasn't been in the congregation, or if he has, he's still a bastard. I'm going to read a section of 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Children, let no one deceive you. He who is bringing about justice is just, even as he is just, meaning Yahweh. He who is creating error is from all of the false accusers, since the false accuser errs from the beginning. John is talking about the authors of sin. For this, the Son of Yahweh has been made manifest in order that he would do away with the works of the false accuser. Do away with the works of the false accuser. Do away with the works of the devil. Well, guess what? That includes bastards. That includes all bastards. Because it's the devil 
who has taught us to race mix. It's the Satan, the adversary, the enemies of God collectively who have taught us to race mix. It's the enemies of God collectively who are the devil who have taught us to race mix. And their works will be done away with. Each who has been born from of Yahweh does not create wrongdoing because his seed abides in him and he is not able to do wrong. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. 1 John 3, 9. Each who has been born from of, of Yahweh does not create wrongdoing because his seed abides in him. And he is not able to do wrong because from of Yahweh he has been born. Does that mean that we don't sin? Of course we sin. But we are not the authors of sin. Paul quotes David in the Psalms when he says, Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh will not impute sin. We have that promise. Yahweh will remember our sins no more. Because we are covered with the blood of the Lamb. Our race is covered with the blood of the Lamb. The day will come when every Israelite knee shall bow and recognize their Redeemer. And Yahweh will impute to us no sin. All Israel shall be saved. That's the scripture. Men have their own ideas about justice, but that's the scripture. By these are manifest the children of Yahweh and the children of the false accuser. All who are not bringing about justice are not from of Yahweh, and he not loving his brother. Because this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was from of the wicked one, and slaughtered his brother, and with delight he slaughtered him because his deeds were evil, but those of his brother were righteous. If you're a white Israelite, and you cover yourself with the blood of the Lamb, Yahweh will not remember your sins. You will not be imputed sin. You can do no wrong in his eyes. Of course, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 2, that does not, and as Peter also tells us, do not use your liberty as a cloak for sin. We do not commit sin simply because we know we're forgiven. Rather, because we know that we are the children of God, we seek to do good and to take care of our brethren. We establish the law, as Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 3. Isaiah 5-7, for the vineyard of the Lord, the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts, is the house of Israel. Period. And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. 
Sometime later, Jeremiah said to the children of Judah, Jeremiah 2.21 and 23, 2.21 through 23, I'm sorry. Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? I would say that there we have it. There the works of the, that, that is the work of the devil, as we know from the parable of the wheat and the tares. For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, thine iniquity is marked before me, saith Yahweh. How can thou say, I am not polluted, I have not gone after Balaam? The pagan fertility rituals of Baal I established here, quoting this very chapter in the Broken Cisterns presentation I did here some weeks ago. We'll talk about Broken Cisterns in a little bit. Jeremiah 2.21 says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? We see that the people of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's time were race-mixing with the Canaanites and the Edomites. And that's how they turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine. Isaiah 17, a hundred years before Jeremiah, 140 years before Jeremiah, maybe. Isaiah 17, 9 through, I'm sorry, 10 through 14. No, I'm only going to quote verse 10 here. I'll, I'll talk about it again later. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and has not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, Therefore thou shalt plant pleasant plants and shalt set them with strange slips. The message of Isaiah 17.10 is that because we forsake the ways of our God, we race mix. We'll revisit this passage shortly. But first it's me to discuss those broken cisterns that we also see in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is Israel a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? A broken cistern cannot hold the Spirit of God. Only Adamic DNA holds the Spirit of God. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are sown a physical seed and raised a spiritual seed, that treasure in earthen vessels which resides in every white Adamic being. When you create a bastard, you create a broken cistern that cannot hold that spirit. For that reason, a bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh forever. Jude call these people, calls these people clouds without water. Clouds without water are broken cisterns. Jude chapter, uh, well, Jude only has one chapter. Jude verses 6 through 13. And the angels which kept not their first estate 
but left their own habitation. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. You want to know where the other races came from. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, race mixing, and going after strange flesh, the proof that fornication is race mixing, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, which is probably the law, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, Yahweh rebukes thee. But these speak evil of those things they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and rang greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity. He's talking about the fornicators. He's talking about the race mixers the children of the angels who left their first estate, the ones who were Sodom and Gomorrah, the race-mixed people, those who were race-mixed with the Kenites and the Rephaim and whatever else they came across. They are spots in our feasts of charity. The people that are not Israelites that sit in our restaurants, that sit in our family dinners, that sit at our reunions, that sit wherever we go, that share our national wealth. They are spots in our feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about by the winds, trees whose fruits withereth without fruit, because a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They're twice dead because once they die in their physical bodies, they're dead spiritually. Peter calls these same individuals wells without water, clouds that are carried about with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever, at 2 Peter 2.17. To continue with one more verse of Jude, one thirteen, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, broken cisterns, clouds without water, those are bastards who cannot hold the Spirit of God. Paul bluntly warns us in Hebrews 12.8, but if you were without discipline, of which you have all become partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. This same clown had, in a reading of the Ezekiel chapter 18 recently, tried to use that to tell us that we shouldn't even talk about bastards. I will get to that parable soon. But if he was right, well, then why would Paul mention bastards? Why would Jude mention 12 twice dead clouds without water? When you start to lie about Scripture to make somebody comfortable, 
It doesn't take long before you're exposed as a fool. Yahweh will prove you to be a liar every time. Let's talk about the future of the strange slips. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 17, verses 9 to 14. In that day shall his strong cities, talking to Israel, be a forsaken bow and an uppermost branch in which they left because of the children of Israel, and there shall be desolation. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, Therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shalt set it with strange slips. We colonize beautiful lands, we build beautiful cities, and what do we do? We load them up with niggers. We create an environment for the growth of strange slips. We create an environment where miscegenation becomes the rule. Verse 11, In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, And in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish, but the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. Woe to the multitude of many people, which makes a noise like the noise of the seas, and to the rushing of nations, that makes a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee afar off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold, at evening tide trouble, and before the morning he is not. This is the portion of them that spoil us, and the lot of them that rob us. Those strange slips, those strange slips have no future in the kingdom of God. At evening tide, there's trouble, and before the morning, they are not. They will all be dispensed with. A bastard shall not be in the congregation of Yahweh. The proverb and prophecy of Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-seven to 30 Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. Don't imagine the beasts are going to be rewarded for their good behavior. And it shall come to pass that, like as I have watched over them, to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch them to build and to plant, saith Yahweh. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. A certain clown tried to use that same, that same parable as it appears in Ezekiel chapter 18.1. The word of Yahweh came to me again, saying, what mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, saith Yahweh, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the father, also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. 
But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, and is not eaten upon the mountains, which means race mixing in the bow fertility rituals, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither has defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has come near to a menstruous woman, and has not oppressed any, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has spoiled none by violence, has given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with the garment. He that is not given forth upon usury, neither has taken any increase, and has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, has executed true, true judgment between man and man, has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall live, saith Yahweh. But he beget a son, he who begets a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and it does the like to any one of these things, and it does not any of those duties, but even has eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, has oppressed the poor and needy, has spoiled by violence, has not restored the pledge, and has lifted up his eye to the idols, has committed abomination, has given upon, force upon usury, and has taken increase. He Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. This certain clown tried to say that bastards, that that chapter somehow proves that bastards will not be accounted bastards, that we shouldn't call them bastards anymore because it's not the bastards' fault that they're bastards. It's the father's. And then he goes on to say that they'll stand in judgment in the last day. That's just a lie. In those days they shall say no more the fathers have eaten a salad grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. Whose teeth are going to be set on edge? For that, let's go back to where I started, Euripides, Hippolytus, line 962 and 963. The bastard is always regarded as an enemy to the trueborn. Galatians 4, 28-31, And we, brethren, down through Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at that same time he who was born according to the flesh had persecuted him according to the Spirit, so also now. So what does the writing say? Cast out the servant woman and her son, for by no means shall the son of the servant woman inherit along with the son of the free. It is not the bastard offspring which Yahweh is concerned with in these Proverbs. Rather, as we see Paul explain in Galatians, the bastard is always regarded as an enemy to the true born. When your father eats a sour grape, when you have race-mixed brothers and sisters, your teeth are set on edge. The fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. When our fathers race mixed, we suffered for it. Are we bastards? No. The children of Pharez, they had to deal in Jerusalem with the children of Shelah, because Judah married the daughter of a strange god, his descendants, his true descendants, suffered for that. And we still do. Because our Israelite fathers 
mixed with these other races, we were cast out of the land of Canaan and cast into the wilderness, and now we're doing it all over again. The fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The children that Yahweh is concerned with here are not the bastards. The legitimate children are the children who had their teeth set on edge because they have to deal with the sins of the father. They have to deal with the bastards. They have to deal with the children born after the flesh who persecute those born according to the spirit. That's why the children's teeth are set on edge. But Yahweh is saying that the day shall come when every man that eats the sour grape shall die for his own iniquity. His own teeth will be set on edge. In other words, will be punished for the sin of fornication. What is the fate of the beasts? What's the fate of the beasts here? The universalist pastors want to interpret this parable as if God, as if it indicated that God had compassion for bastards. But the opposite is true, and we could see that in Scripture and in history. If Israel is the mountain of Yahweh, then Paul himself says of the beasts, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. Hebrews 12.20 In 2 Peter, the apostle says of those spots and blemishes, who sport themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with us, that they are as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. This is the message of Scripture. Yahweh is used, non-Israelites, whether they were Adamic or not, to punish Israel. And when the punishment is fulfilled, he destroys the non-Israelites. He even destroyed ancient Assyria and ancient Babylon because even though it was his will, they magnified themselves against the children of Israel, and that is the reason he gave us for their destruction in the prophets. If he destroyed those Adamic nations on our behalf, how much more the bastards? Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Who are the ungodly? The word means those who are without God. Mark twelve twenty nine from the King James. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, is one. We are the only family that he has known in all the earth. At Micah chapter 4, verse 5, the prophet states, For all people will walk, all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. It's after the judgment of Yahweh, if you can find the gods of the non-Adamic peoples, then you could find those people. The truth is that their gods don't exist. And their people 
are going to walk in that same direction. They have that same fate. All people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever. If you could find their gods, you could find the people. Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Why? Because a good tree can't produce bad fruit. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Only Israel is rendered righteous by the sacrifice of Christ. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That goes hand in hand with Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed. We see we are in that position today. This is the subject of Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is the same thing discussed in Revelation chapter 20. When Satan deceives all the nations of the world to gather their armies, to gather themselves against the children of God. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. Yahweh shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Yahweh has said unto me, Thou art my son. Messianic prophecy. This day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The next verse tells us what we may have done with the heathen and what Yahshua Christ will surely do, because he is the subject of this prophecy. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of love going on here to me. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is a little kindled, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew chapter 25. And when a son of man should come in his effulgence and all the messengers with him, then he shall sit upon his throne of honor, and they shall gather before him all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats. And he shall indeed stand the sheep at his right hand. You won't see any sheep cross over to the left. But the goats at his left hand, these are nations. Then the king shall say to those at his right hand, Come, those blessed of my father, you shall inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of society. For I hungered, and you gave me to eat. I had thirst, and you had given me drink. I was a visitor, and you had taken me in, and naked, and you have clothed me. I had been sick, and you watched over me. I was in prison, and you would come to me. Then the righteous shall respond to him, saying, Master, when have we seen you hungry and nourished you or thirsting and given you to drink? And when have we seen you a visitor and had taken you in or naked and had clothed you? And when have we seen you being sick or in prison and had come to you? And replying, the king shall say to them, and this is what we're judged on. Truly I say to you, for whomever the least of my brethren have you done these things, you have done them for me. Then he shall say to those at the left hand, Go from me, ye accursed, into the eternal fire which has been, been prepared for the devil and his messengers. For I hungered, and you did not give me to eat, and I had thirst, and you would not give me drink, and I was a visitor, and you would not take me in naked, and you would not clothe me sick, and in prison, and you have not visited me. The white race is scorned by all other nations. We always have been. They have always been opposed to us. Go to Africa as a missionary. You'll end up lunch. Go to China. You'll end up lunch. Go to South America. You'll end up lunch. Then he shall say to those, oh, okay, for I hungered, and you did not give me to eat, and I had thirst, and you would not give me drink. I was a visitor, and you would not take me in naked, and you would not clothe me sick and in prison, and you would not visited me. Then they themselves shall also respond, saying, Master, when have we seen you hungry or thirsting or a visitor or naked or sick or in prison and not served you? Then he shall respond to them, saying, Truly I say to you, for whomever you would not done one of the least of these things, neither have you done them for me, and they shall go off into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into the eternal life. How are the sheep and the goats judged? They're judged by kind, because that is the only way that a shepherd distinguishes them. How are the sheep and the goats judged? By how they treated the brethren of Christ. The brethren of Christ are only the children of Israel. The children of Israel had told in many other places that all other nations would have them surrounded and be opposed to them and want to destroy them in the last days. That's the situation we find ourselves in today. And certain Christian identity pastors, they want to save our enemies. That's just ridiculous. That is why Yahweh shall cast them all into the lake of fire, because none of them are written into the book of life. At the end of the age, there are only two kinds of nations. All nations shall be gathered before Yahshua Christ, sheep and goats. And the sheep and the goats are separated and judged by whether they are sheep or whether they are goats. And not by whether each individual sheep or each individual goat did good or bad. 
We see in the parable that no sheep are punished. And we see in the parable that no goats are rewarded. Yahweh understands his will. And it is not the will of man. The parable of the net. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of the heavens is like a net having been cast into the sea. And it gathers from out of every race which when it is full, bringing up upon the shore and sitting, they gather the good ones into vessels, but the rotten ones they cast out. This net must gather all the fish because in Revelation chapter 20 we're told there is no more sea. Or maybe it's Revelation chapter 21. Sitting upon the shore, they gather the good ones into vessels, but the rotten ones they cast out. Thusly it shall be at the consummation of the age. The messengers shall go out, and they shall separate the wicked from the midst of the righteous, and they shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have to distinguish between the good and the bad. In Ezekiel chapter 34, Yahweh says, Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. The bread of life is only for the children of Israel. Christ said in John chapter 6, But I have said to you that even you have seen me, and you do not believe. Each whom my Father gives to me shall come to me, and he coming to me, I shall not cast outside, because I have descended from heaven, not in order that I would do my will, but the will of he who has sent me. This is the will of he who has sent me, that each of them who are given to me, I shall not destroy all the children of Israel. But I shall resurrect them in the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that each who seeing the Son and believing in him would have eternal life, and I shall resurrect him in the last day. If Christ does not destroy those who are given to him, what becomes of all those who are not? Show me where the bastards have been given to Christ. Show me in the prophets where non-Adamic races have been given to Christ. All those not written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. Christ said it in Matthew fifteen thirteen, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted, shall be rooted up. If the non-Israelites and the mixed-race people of the world are strange slips, then they must fall into the category of every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted. To deny these words, one proves himself to be an antichrist, denying the words of Yahshua Christ. The law of God says, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds. Yahweh will not sow his garden with diverse seeds. Yahweh sowed his garden with wheat. The tares were planted by the enemy. The parable of the wheat and the tares. Then leaving the crowds, he had gone out into the house and his students came forth to him, saying, Elucidate for us the parable of the tares of the field. 
And responding, he said, He sowing the good seed is the son of man. Now the field is the world, the white society. And the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, the children of Adam. But the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. And the harvest is the consummation of the age, and the reapers are the messengers. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, thusly it shall be at the consummation of the age. The Son of Man shall send his messengers, and they shall gather from his kingdom all offenses. All offenses must be all of those who are of mixed race, because their very existence is an offense under the law. It's an offense under the law of kind after kind. It's an offense under the laws of fornication. It's an offense under the laws forbidding race mixing. If you're a bastard, you have to fall into that category. They shall gather from his kingdom all offenses and those creating lawlessness, and they shall cast them into the lake of, into the furnace of fire. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The lovers of bastards are the ones who will be doing the wailing. Then the righteous shall shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He having an ear must hear. And all I can ask is where are the beasts? The Apostle John also divides the world into two groups where he contrasts spirits from Yahweh and spirits born of the world. 1 John 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yahshua Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Yahshua Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof... You have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knows God hears us, but he is not of God that, hear, that does not hear us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are only two spirits. You're either an Adamic man, born of God, born from above, having the spirit which God bestowed on Adam, or you're of the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And this was, ma and this was manifest, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here it is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Everything else John says has to be taken in context with this. Hereby know ye that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, Genesis 2-7, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
He saves the world by purging it of the tares. He saves the world by purging it of all things which offend. He saves the world by removing the offenses, by casting them all into the lake of fire. John contrasts those born of God which, with those born of the world. John tells us that we have the spirit which comes from God. We see that same spirit was given to our father Adam from Genesis chapter 2. All who were born in his image have that spirit. There will be nobody but Adamites in this judgment. The judgment where we're given our reward or we're not. But that has nothing to do with the judgment of the heathen. That has nothing to do with the day of wrath. We're gathered into vessels. We're saved for the kingdom of God. They are thrown into the lake of fire. There's no third choice. Again, as we see the words of Christ in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man should be born from above, as John says in his epistle, unless we're born from God, he shall not see the kingdom of Yahweh. If you dispute that, not only are you a universalist, you are also an antichrist. Jeremiah 46.28 Fear not, O Jacob my servant, saith Yahweh, for I am with thee. For I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven thee. What word of that is so hard to understand? But I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure. Yet I will not leave thee wholly unpunished. Yahweh will make a full end of all the nations where the children of Israel have been driven. Is Yahweh an exterminationist? I'm with Yahweh. I believe the Bible. Slandering the messenger is an ADL trick. Slandering the messenger as an exterminationist is a trick the Jews play. It's right from the playbook of the Jews. You're an anti-Semite. You're a racist. You're an exterminationist. Hold up a mirror. Because he's a Jew. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening tonight. I'll be back on Friday with Mark chapter 14. Good night, everybody. Bless you all. Praise Yahweh. The hell with the trolls.